Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. I was given part of this text recently to, for a message in a different setting uh, to a group of leaders in Some of the things that were shared there probably are a little bit different than what I'd like to share here this morning, but a lot of it applies to anyone and to everyone. The text that I had been given had to do with the last part of the chapter, particularly where it says in verse 48, ye are witnesses of these things. That was kind of the the crux of that message was ye are witnesses of these things. Do you consider yourself to be a witness? Do you tend to witness for the Lord? And maybe you're saying, I I don't very often, I don't witness much. But I I hope after hearing this message, you'll maybe reconsider what being a witness really is and whether or not you are a witness. I would tell you this, and I'll probably remind you throughout the message, you are a witness to something. You witness to something or about something or yourself to people around you. They see and hear something. What is a witness really? Well, in a court of law, it would be someone who was directly connected to uh, maybe a crime or an accident or something that happened. I've never been called to go to, or subpoenaed or anything, to go to a trial in Chicago to be a witness uh, for one of the shootings there between gang leaders or something. I, I've never been called to do that, and the reason is because I've never been there when it happened, thankfully. But if I ever would be, and I'd see it, I may be called to be a witness. And I would have to go and testify to what I saw or heard or best my understanding. And you'll notice as we go through this passage that when you get to Jesus telling these people, you are witnesses of these things, these were people who had a first-hand account of what happened. They were there. They had been with Jesus. They saw him crucified or knew that he had been crucified. Some of them probably weren't there when it happened, but they knew about it. They, some of them were right there at the tomb when it was empty, and then they saw him now alive, and he said, you're witnesses. So maybe you would say, well, since I didn't see it firsthand, I'm not a witness. But I would say, if you are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, you have a firsthand experience to witness to and about. You've experienced it firsthand. Now you have to be a little bit careful about experiences. You know, we talk about experiences. And even the Apostle Peter, who had seen a lot of things and had been right there, even on the Mount of Transfiguration, said, the Old Testament Scriptures trump my experience even on the Mount of Transfiguration. And so our guide to what we witness to still comes back to this because this was put together by firsthand, those who had experienced it firsthand and those who knew them directly and communicated with them. And of course, it was written really by the Holy Spirit. And so we could say there's no greater firsthand experiencer than 
the Holy Spirit himself. So a witness really is someone who shares or testifies to something that has happened or is happening. And who should we witness to? To whom should we witness, really? And I would say, we would often say, well, we need to be a witness to our family, certainly, uh, to the brotherhood here, and to uh, our neighbors, and really to anyone we come in contact with or have opportunity as to who we witness. And we do witness to more people than we realize for sure. Kevin was talking a little bit about what's going on in the world today and the all the things that we're seeing happening around us. And I know, and for the young people, they're probably like, oh, we hear this all the time. You know, every generation probably looks at the world and says it's, it's worse than it's ever been. Although, you know, I'm almost filled up six decades of time in my life. That's, and I don't really recall, I vaguely remember the 60s, but... I know there was a lot of turmoil in the world during that time too, but since then I don't remember a time like maybe the last five, six years where there just seems to be as much unrest and turmoil worldwide. So I want to say something this morning that I, I don't think we realize, even in our own communities, in our own neighborhoods, how much the world needs steady, faithful witnesses. They're looking for it. In a time and in a world that is so chaotic, how do they see us reacting to that chaos? How do they see us reacting to the world around us? They're looking for something steady. So I asked the question maybe, how do we witness? And some of the ways we witness. And then I want to come back and look at this passage more in depth as we think about preparation for witnessing and the power for witnessing. One of the ways we often think about witnessing is speaking, saying something to someone, going up to someone and saying, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you you saved? Are you you ready to meet God or something? You might say something like that. And I always, whenever I think about witnessing like that, handing out tracts or just saying something to someone, one of the first people that come to my mind is Breadman Bill. I don't know how many of you would remember him um, some of you probably went to church with him, some of you know, and I, I still remember the story, and I probably have it a little bit wrong, where he was older and decided to park by the road and get some rest or something, and some of you, if, if somebody knows that story better than me and you want to correct me, just do so, but I, I think he was sleeping or something, and a police pulled up behind, run his plate, and realized it's an old man or whatever, and I think there ended up being an ambulance out there, and by the time that people left, if I remember the story correctly, uh, he was fine, he was okay, and he was handing out tracts and trying to get everybody saved that showed up to help him. He, he was, that's just how he was, and I wish I had more of that. I, I tend to not to, to do that as much, but we often think about witnessing as, as actually speaking and talking, and, and that's important. It really is important, and I admire people that do that a lot better than I do. You know, Really, when you have a topic or as we preach a message or we share Sunday school, uh, maybe the person that's up front here, even in Sunday school classes, you can be a witness even in your Sunday school class when you share maybe what, how, what the Lord's doing in your life or 
share something about the lesson that, that is truth to other people. And that's, that's witnessing. And some people are writers. They like to write. And maybe they write articles. Maybe they write a book. Uh, people are, we have authors here. People that write books. So you can be a witness by writing. And I was thinking about the singing today. And some people, actually, that's what they do. They go around and maybe you think about the gospel echoes. They have the number of people there throughout the years have spent their life going into prisons. And yes, they generally have a message they share, but a lot of the people there, a lot of the prisoners, from what I understand, have been touched by the songs that they hear. They're being witnessed to by the singing. I would say the greatest way to witness about Jesus Christ is loving others, showing the love of Christ to other people. And sometimes that's done without maybe even saying much at all. And I was reminded of this when Jordan was over in Greece there helping with I-58 and those refugees that would come from countries that were very religious. And yet they would come there, they were fleeing all the fighting from the religious people. And I hate to tell them this, but they come to the, the U.S. and they're going to see more fighting from religious people. Hopefully not with guns and tanks and so forth like where they came from. But they fled their countries because of fighting and all of this stuff. And they, and they come there and they had heard all this terrible stuff about Christianity. And suddenly for the first time in their lives, they felt a love from people that was different than they had ever that they had ever felt before. It was something completely different. And it's interesting, the number of people that have come to Christ, been baptized, and maybe all even went on up into Europe, and then some of them even came back there to help because they had felt the love of Christ. In those camps, it's actually illegal to verbally share the gospel. I'm not saying it never happens, but it's, you're not supposed to. But they felt the love. So showing just the love of Christ to others. And then what I want us to maybe grasp the most this morning is, and, and this falls right underneath that category, is we are witnesses by what we do and the examples we set. Just living our lives as a witness. And I look at that and sometimes I think, you know, there's areas that I'm not a very good witness in. And I don't know if you think about your life right now and just think about your everyday life and, and how you interact with people and what you say and what you do and where you go and all this stuff. Are you being a good witness? Let's read this chapter. I want to read the whole chapter just to get the context of what Jesus has to say then to these people about being a witness for him. We're going to start at verse 1, looking at the resurrection now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher, and they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Right there's something that we can witness to. 
Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words, and returned from the sepulcher, and told these, all these things unto the eleven, and to all the rest. And it was Mary Magdalene, and Joanna, and the Mary the mother of James, and other women that were with them, which told these things unto the apostles, and their words seemed to them as idle tales, and they believed them not. Then arose Peter and ran unto the sepulchre, and stooping down, he <coughs> beheld the linen clothes laid by themselves, and departed, wondering in himself at that which had, was come to pass. Now, here's where we kind of shift a little bit in the story, and we'll come back to this area and draw some thoughts from it. And behold, two of them, and we, we only know the name of one of them, by the way. Some people think it was a husband and a wife because they went to this town and they invited him into their home. Not necessarily. It could have been two men that went, were going somewhere and just went into the home. We don't know that for sure. <clears throat> but there are two of them here. It says, And went the same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about three score furlongs, or about seven miles. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holden that they should not know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that you have one to another as you walk and are sad? And one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering, said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem? Or are you just new here or something? He says, And hast not known the things which have come to pass there in these days? And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. We trusted that it had been, that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulchre, when they found not his body, they came, saying that they had also seen a vision of angels, which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher, and found it even so as the women had said. But him they saw not. Then said he unto them, O fools. And that word fools there is not the same word fools that he would have used when he said don't call someone a fool. It's more you of little understanding or um, and then he goes on and says, And slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them all the scriptures and the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh unto the village whither they went, and he made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening. The day is far spent, and he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and brake it and gave to them. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while, we talked, while he talked with us by the way, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and them that were with them saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and hath appeared to Simon. And they told what things were done in the way, and how he was known of them in the breaking of bread. 
And as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said unto them, Peace be unto you. But they were terrified and affrighted and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said unto them, Why are you troubled? Why do your thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold, my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones, as ye see me have. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they yet believed not for joy and wondered, he said unto them, Have ye any meat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and of a honeycomb. And he took it and did eat before them. And he said unto them, These are the words which I have spoken unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then open he their understanding, that they might understand the scriptures. And he said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in the name, in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high." And he led them out as far as to Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass that while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising God and praising and blessing God. And turn over to the book of Acts. Luke continues his writings about this event in the book of Acts. And go to verse 8 of chapter 1. Similar to what he writes in his first letter, he says, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and the other most parts of the earth. And when he had thus spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up in a cloud, received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. And in case I don't mention it later, one of the things we should witness to is the fact that he said he's coming again. That is something that we can tell people in a troubled world and share that hope. Well, in preparation for witnessing in this passage, I'd like for us to consider a few things. One, go back to verse 11 of Luke 22. And when they had heard, when the apostles had heard these things, it says, and their words seemed to them as idle tales, and they believed them not. If you're going to be a witness for Jesus Christ, you have to be a believer. You've got to believe it yourself. And I have been somewhat amazed in more recent years and saddened by some otherwise famous writers and preachers. And when I say famous, I'm talking about they, they were known around the world. We've had some even in our own Mennonite circles, but <clears throat> some that have been known around the world. Uh, Joshua Harris is, is one name that comes to my mind, and there have been others who were looked up to, who people said, there's a believer, there's a strong believer that one day stand up and say, you know what? I don't believe anymore. I'm not a Christian anymore. I'm done. And walk away from it. Not, I'm not thinking so much of ones that maybe 
something happened, they fell into sin, and they repented, and they went on, and yes, it put a black name maybe to some people in Christianity or whatever, or about Christianity, but I'm talking about people that have said, I don't believe anymore. <clears throat> it happens in our circles too. There could be someone sitting here this morning that is on the edge of, is this really true? Can I continue to believe it? Maybe it's because of things that have happened in your life. Maybe it's things that are going on. Maybe it's, maybe it's other people's inconsistencies. I hope there's no one here that the words of God fall on you as idle tales and you don't believe. It's not just enough, and it is enough to get saved. Let me clarify this. It's enough to get saved, to believe, put your faith in Jesus Christ. But we have to keep on believing. You can't get down the road and not believe. This just comes to my mind, so I'll tell you. I, Charles Stanley is a pretty famous preacher. One of the strongest Calvinists I've ever heard. And I remember picking up a book, and I wish I'd have bought the book, not to support his ministry, but for, so I could show people. In that, I was in a bookstore one time back when they actually, remember, anybody remember when they had Christian bookstores around? Anybody remember those days? What do you know? There's a few of us here old enough to remember that. They actually had it. You could actually look, open a book and look at it. And, well, you can sometimes online. You can flip through the thing, but you can't get to where you really want to get to in a book anyway on that. But anyway, I remember picking up this book by Charles Stanley and reading in there, and he went so far as to say that even if a person that is truly saved comes to a point where they don't believe there's a God, it doesn't change their standing with God. They're still a son. It doesn't change it. I put the book back on the rack and realized I'm thankful I wasn't raised in a Calvinist setting and believe that kind of stuff. It's not enough. It just start out, you've got to continue to believe. So if you're going to be a witness... You've got to believe it. Who would want to go? I mean, can you imagine going to a Chevy dealer and you go there and you're wanting to buy a new vehicle? And you go in and the salesman comes out and he says, so What you looking for? I'm looking to buy a new vehicle. Of course, you probably couldn't get one right now, but uh, with supply problems, but you'd say, I'm looking to buy a new vehicle. And this Chevy salesman comes out and he says, Well, he says, If I were you, I wouldn't buy a Chevy. I'd go down the road and buy a Ford. You'd, I probably wouldn't buy either one at that point. I'd be like, what are you talking about? Why are you working for a Chevy dealer? You're telling me to go buy a Ford. We can be, as Christians, if we don't really believe what, we're, what we claim to believe, we can give the impression to people why would you want to be what I claim to be? Why would I want to do that? Do I really believe, and am I continuing to believe, the gospel of Jesus Christ? There's another thing here that I think is helpful in our preparation to witness, and that is in verses 13 through 15. And behold, two of them went that day to the village of Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about three score furlongs. 
And, they, and as they talk together here, they're walking along and they talk together of all the things which had happened. They were perplexed. They didn't understand. And in verse 15 it says, And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. I'd like to just think about that. They communed together and they reasoned together. Witnesses need each other. There's a reason God designed the church to come together like this. And I don't know why, but it says that it pleased him through the foolishness of preaching. And some of you are probably thinking, yeah, we get that part. But through the foolishness of preaching or proclaiming the word of God. To spread the gospel, basically. And not only that, if you look at the early church, there were four things there that it talks about the early church. And one of them was that they got together. They fellowshiped together. Even in the Old Testament, it talks about they were fellowshipping together and God saw it and it, it pleased Him. We need each other. Have you ever been in a situation where you just didn't understand? Things were confusing. Maybe, maybe there's something in the Scriptures you didn't understand or maybe a situation in your life and you sit down with someone else or two or three other brothers or sisters and you share those things and you talk together and it just gives you strength. If we're going to be witnesses for Jesus Christ, we need each other. And I'll tell you something. If you don't believe it here, go to a country like China or someplace and see if they don't need each other to witness. They do. So these people were together and they were reasoning together. And here came Jesus. Now, let's jump over to verses 28 and through 32. And here is where you see that Jesus was with them. And they get to their home, and, and Jesus acts like he's going to keep on going. And he would have. It wasn't like he was fooling them. If they wouldn't have asked him in, he'd have kept right on going. Think of the blessing they would have missed if they wouldn't have said, Hey, 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 it's getting late in the evening, and you really shouldn't be traveling anymore. Do you have any place to stop? Let, come on in. I'll, I'll give you, have supper with us. Come in. Continue to commune with us. They had been so blessed by him opening up their understanding to the scriptures. And, and they were, so come on in. Now what I find interesting about this passage is, and I wonder, uh, you think about witnessing. Have you ever felt this fervent about witnessing that it was too late for Jesus to go on? The evening was far spent, but after they realized who they had had supper with and who they had who had walked with them, that they turned right around and went right back where they came from. They went right back, seven miles. And I don't think it probably took them near as long to get back to Jerusalem as it had to get to Emmaus to start with. They were excited about something, and they wanted to share what they had heard and what they had seen that day. But the thing that I want us to think about here is, if you're going to be a good witness for Jesus Christ... You have got to be willing to spend time with him, to commune with him. And that's an area where I think I fall short. I heard a message from Todd Neuschwander on, it's also from Luke, where Mary and Martha, you know, are there, and Jesus is there, and, 
and Martha's busy getting everything done and woo, everything's, she's wanting to make the food and on and on and on. And Mary's sitting over there talking to Jesus and, and, Mar- and Martha's all upset about it. Anyway, Jesus said, the one thing, the one important thing, and Mary has chosen that good thing. And it wasn't hustle, 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 get it all done for supper. And that's probably the thing that, and I don't know how many of you, I'm sure some of you do a whole lot better than I do, just being alone with God. In his word, on your knees, this song that we sang before I came up here, it jumped out at me. Let's see if I can find it now. Um, when I kneel in prayer with and with thee, my God, I commune as friend with friend. How many of you sang those words? I'm not going to ask how many of you. Is that a reality? Is it a reality? We, if we're going to be a witness for Jesus Christ, even in our, just our daily lives, we've got to spend time with the one to whom we are witnessing for. And I thought about this just the other week. Had a busy week. Things were busy. And uh, I'm not sure if it's a good idea for a preacher to work part-time somewhere. I like the flexibility, but my wife wonders about the hours. So it's kind of a balancing act. And I was thinking about that day, and I thought, well, you know, entrepreneurs understand this. Most Mennonites understand this. I'm not sure I understand this, but, you know, this thing of time is money. I've got to remember, time is money. And, uh, you know, that's what you hear if you're in business. You know, time is money. And then I was reminded, I'm not taking any of it with me anyway. That doesn't mean we want to be paupers and we want everybody else to have to take care of our needs because we're not energetic and we're not getting anything done or whatever. Since we're not taking that with us, but we are going to be affected and a lot of other people by the amount of time we spend with God. And there's a balance, I understand that. If you're an employer here and your employees don't show up for three days and you finally call them and say, what is going on? Well, I've just been spending time with God. Sorry, I don't need my job. You'd probably say, no, I don't think either you do. But is there time sometime in your day, in your week, is there time in mine? Preparation to be a witness. And then... We need to get to work. Now, I'm not talking about necessarily our jobs. I'm saying get to work out there. We spend time with him so we can go out and do his work and work for him. Now, there's another thing that jumps out to me in this. In verse 24, it says, or in 27, it says that Jesus himself started with Moses and all the prophets to explain the scriptures about himself. And then if you go over to verses 44 and 45, He does the same thing. He says, look, all the things that are written in Moses, the prophets, the Psalms concerning me. And he says in 45, then open he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. Somebody writes a book and you read the book and you've got questions about what they mean in the book. And the author's still living. You give them a phone call or maybe you see them somewhere and you say, hey, what exactly did you mean when you said this and this and this in the book. 
and you can talk directly to the author and get the author. If somebody wrote the book a couple hundred years ago and you read the book and you don't understand what they're saying, you're probably never going to find out. It's, you can. Sometimes you might ask an author of a book what they meant by something they wrote, and they say, you know what, I'm not sure what exactly I was saying there, and actually I've changed my mind on it anyway, et cetera, et cetera. Well, we can go to the author of this book, and he can open our understanding. We are running short. Well, I don't know if we're running short on time. Time, what is time anyway? I said time is money, but it's not on a Sunday morning. better not be. Um, Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And I'm not going to read the whole passage here. I'll make some comments about it. And I want us just to notice something in verse 14. I'd like to read it all so you can see it completely in its context. But verse 14 of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He says this. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. If you want to understand the Scriptures, you have to know the author. They are spiritually discerned. Have you ever wondered why you can share something out of the Scripture with someone that's not a believer? And it makes no sense at all. Have you ever seen people that just, like, they don't understand the Bible? I mean, it just makes no sense. It's just foolishness to them. It's spiritually discerned. Now, you can say, well, wait a minute. And I, and I enjoy going to the Gideon's pastor appreciation banquets um, and hearing testimonies from different people who picked up a couple of pages out of a Bible or a Bible maybe in a motel, in a, in a jail, in a college, wherever, and read some scripture and wow, their eyes were opened and they became believers. That's still the work of the Holy Spirit, convicting and drawing people. But the wonderful thing is, if we are believers, He can open our eyes to understanding of his word and his will. We know the author. Now, that passage there in 1 Corinthians, I just, maybe I'll make a couple of comments on that. And you've heard me say this before. I think when we go to witness, it's good. The, the, Peter says that everyone is supposed to have an answer for the hope that lies within us. And that answer there is an apologia, which is a verbal reason defense of the gospel. We need to have that. But sometimes people get caught up with this thing of witnessing that, well, I don't know, what if he asked me to explain in detail the Trinity? How am I going to do that? And then if I can't explain it perfectly, he's going to walk away from the gospel. You don't have to know, you don't have to understand all of those things to be a witness. When Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, remember, he says, when I, when I first came to you, when I first showed up at Corinth, he says, I chose to know nothing among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul had just come from Athens. He had been up there on Mars Hill reasoning with a bunch of philosophers. He had all kinds of 
philosophical things to say to them. Read the passage. It's Acts chapter 17. You can read it. Now, he does get to the resurrection, and it says that most of them laughed at him. Some of them said, we'll hear you again later, and a few believe, a couple of believers. He didn't even start a church there. There was no interest, and he heads off and goes to Corinth. He gets to Corinth, and he decides, you know what? I'm just going to preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. You don't have to be a great philosophical theologian who is schooled in apologetics to be a witness for Jesus Christ. Because what are we supposed to witness to? Let's, let's go on here. And I want to just talk a little bit about the power for witnessing. In verse 48 and 49 where it says, And you are witnesses of these things, and behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. There it is. And if you go to Acts chapters 1 and 2, you can see, again, Stay in Jerusalem until you have power from the Holy Spirit. And after the day of Pentecost, what happens? They begin to witness and witness and witness for Jesus Christ. And if you go through the book of Acts, often you'll see <coughs> where uh, it, it'll say, And Paul, being filled with the Holy Spirit, said, Or Barnabas was a man full of the Holy Ghost and witness uh, and wisdom. And other people had to do with the filling of the Holy Spirit. When they were ready to say something, God gave them the words to say. One place, Paul even talks to this one fellow there on the island of Cyprus, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he said, Thou child of the devil, thou uh, child of all mischief, wilt you not stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? I mean, he gives it to him. Now, I'm going to tell you something. If you ever talk to somebody like that, it better be the Holy Spirit working. If not, you're going you're gonna to mess it up. But the Holy Spirit is the one that can often, well, let's put it this way. I kind of stopped that sentence in the middle there. I noticed that. But here's the thing. Have you ever tried to talk to someone about something and it just fell completely flat and you walked away from it? Or maybe later you're like, it, it, you felt like a failure. And other times you get in a situation, it may be a Christian, it may be a brother or sister in the church, it might be a neighbor, maybe somebody's not a believer and you share some things and it just works. And later you ask yourself, where did those words come from anyway? Where did that come from? It's like you hadn't planned it. It's just like suddenly the Lord just brings something to your... It's the difference between us witnessing out of our own strength and our own words and witnessing out of allowing the Holy Spirit to use us. And I'm not saying that as an excuse to not have a knowledge of the Scripture. I said we need to understand and have a working knowledge of the Scripture. Certainly that is in that we are enlightened by the work of the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is the one that gives us the power to be a witness for Christ in our everyday lives, in the words we share. And if we're ever in a time of persecution where we are being killed for our faith, it will be the Holy Spirit that gives us the strength to go through that. It's not by our own strength that we'll ever get through those things. It's not. We don't have to go it alone. The Holy Spirit goes with us and in us. Well, what are we supposed to witness to? Well, we could easily say God's love, of course. We witness to His words, His word, 
And like I mentioned earlier, we can witness about his coming kingdom. But he gives us some specific things to be witnesses about in verses um, 48 and 49 there. Actually, jumping back to 46 and 47. He said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and die through that suffering, to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations. That's primarily what we need to be witnesses of. It comes down to truth, but we are witnesses of Christ's suffering and death. And it's interesting, he mentions specifically suffering. And we don't have time this morning to talk about it, but I think maybe I should work on a message, maybe just for my own understanding, if nothing else. Why is so often in the New Testament does it talk about suffering? Suffering, suffering, his suffering, and then his death. Well, one thing is, what would have happened if Paul would have been before Pilate? And before he was scourged, before he was crucified, before he had that crown of thorns beat upon his head, before he was whipped and round with rods and so forth, what if he would have went before Pilate and said, Pilate, just so you know, I am the king of the Jews, and the king of the Jews must give his life. And he'd have fell over dead. We'd probably look at that and say, well... That wasn't really all that hard to do. He could give his life up and take his life again. And he decided to give it. And he says here himself, it behooved Christ. He was compelled to suffer till he died. And he rose again. But it doesn't end there. That's not, that's not where it ends. When John the Baptist came preaching, what did he say? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus comes along, and what he starts preaching? Repent. Repent, repent, repent. I do want you to turn with me over to the book of Acts, chapter 13. We're just going to look at a couple of verses there. Acts chapter 13. And this is when uh, Paul has... The opportunity to preach here, if I understand the context correctly, he goes through a lot of their history, and you get to verses 30 and 31, and he says, he's talking here about Christ dying, he says, but God raised him from the dead, and he was seen of many days of them which came up from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are witnesses, he's talking about witnesses, unto the people, jump over to verse 38, be it known unto you therefore, men and brethren, that through this man, Jesus Christ, has preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, all that believe are justified, made right before God from all things from which you could be, which you could not be justified from the law of Moses. If we're going to preach and we're going to be a witness and we're going to take opportunity to share about Jesus, we talk about his suffering, his death, his resurrection, his paramount, and then with that comes repentance for forgiveness of sins. Repentance is kind of a thing that's been somewhat forgotten, I believe. We talk about believe, but we forget to tell ourselves and others, you've got to believe, but believing brings repentance, a change of heart, a change of attitude, a change of life. If it brings no change, 
I go back to the part where I said earlier, we got to believe. True belief brings repentance and change. I think I'll leave you with this here, and that is, I want to remind you some things I said in the beginning. Every one of us here is a witness to something. People observe our lives. If you really want to know about a person and their life and what, what they're really like, go talk to their family and ask them. You can do that. You can ask my family, my children. They see you in the toughest times and the greatest times. Maybe go talk to people you work with. What kind of a witness are you at work? What kind of a, you know. And then maybe people, your neighbors, so forth. People see our lives. And people know what we're like. And I come back to this as well. Maybe you struggle with being a verbal witnesser. And I'm not saying this is an excuse. I think we need to confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus, not only in our setting here, but out there to people when we have opportunity. And the Holy Spirit gives us direction to do that. But I think we can do that often. But I do come back to this. We are witnesses in our very lifestyle, the way we live, the way we act, the way we react, the way we treat other people, and by the way we show the love of Christ. It's one of the greatest witnesses. And then when people ask us, why? Why do you live like that? Why do you treat me that way? Why do you show me love when I haven't shown you love? And we can say it's because of our Lord Jesus Christ and then share with them what it takes to be a believer. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I just pray that you would help me to spend more time with you, to be a better witness for you, even just in my life and the words I speak to others and just how I live in the community or wherever, Lord, help me to be a better witness. And I pray, Lord, that as a brotherhood here, we would be a true witness and a shining light to those around us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.